CNN. Radio. This is CNN Profiles. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder, and our guest is responsible for one of the greatest collections of human artistry and athleticism you will ever see in motion. It can be grueling, but it is also what the dancers love, is that kind of physical challenge of pushing the body to those limits. There is a certain amount of not accepting where your leg is in space, but always trying to make it go a little bit higher or to jump a little bit higher. Robert Battle is the artistic director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Among the pieces they are performing on their current tour across America, a solo choreographed by Battle to this. This is Nina Simone, and the title of the song Robert Battle is... Wild is the Wind. And you first heard it? Oh, many years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Love me, love me, love me, say you do. Let me fly away with you. I, I don't even want to interrupt My Nina Simone, but I, I guess we have to. Love me, love me, love me, say you do, let me fly away with you. Those words mm. clearly speak to you. Mm -hmm. I want to take you back to your childhood right now. Mm -hmm. How do those words connect to your childhood? Take us back to the beginning. Well, I think because... Um, hmm, great question. Um, you know, I was born already needing a little bit of choreography uh, in the sense that... Um, I was born completely bow-legged, which mean, meant that my legs were a sort of perfect circle, um, which didn't necessarily, the first thing they didn't think is a dancer. Uh, my mother was in a situation that she couldn't take care of me the way she would have wanted to at the time. And so, of course, of course, of course in our culture, uh, other family members stepped in to help. And that was my great aunt and uncle, Willie Horn and Anna Smallhorn. Uh, already in the winter of their years, here I am, as my great uncle used to say, no bigger than a loaf of bread, about three weeks old, bow-legged, running nose, and, and they took me in and then got braces for my legs. Um, all of a sudden, you know, they're like parents of a, a, an infant again. And uh, so... In fact, I know about the braces. I used to try to get up in the middle of the night, but because of the braces they would put on at the night, I would sort of fall down. Maybe that's why so much falling is in my dances, and I relate to modern dance because it, it really is about um, weight, not defying gravity, but sort of giving in. And from there, I sort of made my way. You know, we moved from, from uh, Jacksonville, where I was born, uh, when my great-aunt had a stroke, and she was the one who I knew as mother. We moved to Miami, Florida with their daughter, Desi Williams. And when my great aunt passed away, um, Desi Williams uh, sort of took on the role of, of, of mother. And my great uncle, which is her father, lived until I was in my, going into my second year at Juilliard, but I knew him as dad. Um, but the thing about that was coming into that situation, 
uh, Desi Williams, she played piano for the church. Uh, and so when we think of Alvin Ailey's revelations, in some ways, it was a part of my upbringing, being exposed to those spirituals um, and my mother's talent for playing the piano. She was also, her real job was she was an English teacher for over 30 years in the public school system. And also, she was an actress. This, w- this was your birth mother or the no, woman? No, Desi who... Williams. I'm sorry, this was Desi Williams. Yes, okay. yes. But she also was an actress. And she had a group called the Afro-Americans. And they would perform poetry and song relating to the black experience so by black writers and poets um, and spirituals. And they had this whole sort of program they would do for schools and churches and communities, um, outreach. And I would watch them rehearse. And it was amazing to me. I was just amazed by how this person who I knew as my mother would all of a sudden take on these characters. You know, one of the poems she used to do was by Mari Evans, and it was uh, I Am a Black Woman. And all of a sudden, her height, I mean, it would seem like she just grew, and she would say, I'm a black woman, tall as a cypress, strong, defying all definition, still defying place and time and circumstance. And she would end, I am a black woman. Look on me and be renewed. Something like that. And I just remember being in awe. And I think that was what made me in awe of the performing arts as a young person. I didn't think of it as the performing arts, but I always wanted to be around when they were rehearsing. Uh, And so growing out of that, I found out through imitation that I could play piano, that I had an ear for music. And so they got me piano lessons. Juanita Hurd uh, was my piano teacher. She would come on Sundays uh, for $6 for a half hour. And so that relationship started. And and I would recite poetry in in the church. Um, And and so everything grew out uh, out of that. My first poem was on Easter. And there I was, a little tiny tot in a white suit. And I remember uh, how, old, how old were you? I was about six years old, something like that. Do you, do you remember the poem? Yes, yes. And because, you know, my mother, you I mean, just drilled me on this poem, especially because of her field and English and all of that. So I had to say, my name is Robert Battle, and I stand six feet tall, and I just came to say, Happy Easter Day. I still remember. <laughs> So there was. Did that. you? Did, I have to ask you. I mean, it almost feels like you must have felt six feet tall in that kind of environment. I did, I did, um, because I guess because of watching um, her and her friends sort of take on these characters and these roles. Um, to me, it was hard to distinguish between pretend and you know real at the time. And most children are like that. They kind of go wow, this is really her history. She's not reading a poem. She's talking about herself or himself. Uh, that it, 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 it seemed to me that the performing arts and the person performing the art were one and the same. And that, to me, sort of drove me. And so I would go in my room. I would get her poetry book or something, and I would recite the poems. And I pretend I was reciting them for a lot of people. And then uh, singing. I love singing. I had a soprano voice, uh, both in speaking and singing. 
and I would go in and I would put on a, a tape of maybe Whitney Houston or whoever at the time, and I would sing along and pretend I was singing for thousands of people. That, to me, I could do that all day. I was never bored because I believed it was happening. What years were these, by the way? How old are you? Oh, seven, eight, nine, ten. But how, how old are you now? How old am I now? Forty. I do want to come back to, so you're seven, you're eight, you're performing in front of imaginary audiences of thousands of people. At some point, the hard work had to kick in. Yes. When did that happen? And yeah. what triggered it? Well, see, I don't know that, that it wasn't work then. Because I truly believe that you start when you start. Um, Let me try to phrase that differently. I mean, that usage of the imagination was very important work. I didn't think of it as work. I thought of it as an escape. But it turns out that it was the work of sort of realizing this dream of mine that was sort of coming together in bits and pieces. In some ways, it's more about uncovering something that is already there, that that you have everything you need, lacking no essential characteristic. And I, in those moments of make-believe, I believed that. But it was also work. Well, you know, it's said that play is child's work. Yes. Yes, I told. And playing for an artist, artist is serious business. I really believe that. And, uh, but with piano, what I would always want to do is change things around, you know, like Chopin needs my help, right? But I would learn it, and then when I would practice, I would add things. You know, I would add dramatic notes that weren't there or pauses that really did not exist. Um, and, um, you know, and I would just play it much slower than it was meant to be played. And I had these other ideas about creativity, uh, that my piano teacher was not pleased about because if you're learning classical you know, music, it's like play the notes on the page. But I was always kind of interested in, in being more dramatic about things. So that's kind of what I mean about, about not particularly practicing the way that I should have according to the teacher. But, you know, there are a lot of kids who would lose their confidence if their piano teacher was telling them, you are not playing this the way you were supposed to be playing it. Did you just have this rock-solid confidence that you're going to pursue your path, or was it not quite as simple as that? Not quite as simple. It was instinct. It was, it was a feeling. It was a feeling, and feelings are important. Now, I would say, no, you have to get the basics so that you know how to fly. And I did get the basics, but I also was at a point in life where, as we say, I was flitting from, from different forms of expression, not knowing where my home would be. You know, there was a sense that, okay, now I would love to do martial arts, and then martial arts sort of led me to dance, also imitating Michael Jackson at the time. But because I took studied martial arts, I had a physical discipline already built in. You know, because I'd studied music and singing, I had a certain amount of musicality so that I could bring all of these things to dance. You see, so to me, the moving from thing to thing had somewhere in my subconscious a destination, and it turns out to be exactly where I am. So when did you get that image of home in your mind? 
Which, when did you identify your home? I remember that because, and also I had left something out. Because I grew up in the church, I remember we had this wonderful preacher who uh, finally made me pay attention because as, as kids can be, you know, we start climbing under the pews and, you know, you know, sort of playing in the books and the, the whole thing. And this preacher, uh, Reverend F. Isaac Lowe, I remember his name. He's no longer with us, but he was our presiding elder. I grew up in the AME Zion Church. And um, I remember when he would preach, and he would only come in like maybe twice a year to preach because he went around to all the other churches you know, presiding over them. And he had this sort of fire and brimstone, you know, this sort of rhythmic way of sort of, you know, stirring the congregation. And he would start very slow and methodically, you know, just sort of setting up, like choreography, sort of setting up the groundwork for what he's going to talk about. So you'd be lulled into this sort of um, pedantic kind of rhythm. And then he would then start to sing song a little bit. And then it would build into this kind of intense thing where he would start to move away from the pulpit, slam his hand on the pulpit, jump over the railing of the pulpit. And I sat there in awe with tears in my eyes. I, I never forget that moment where I finally felt that I made contact. As a young person, that's such a powerful thing. No one's telling you how to feel. You're just feeling this thing. So I wanted to be a preacher. And my uh, great uncle, he would always bring a tape recorder to the service because he liked to tape it and then play it at night as he went to sleep or whatever. So I took the tape recorder of that sermon and I learned the whole thing verbatim. And I put on my little bathrobe and I'd go in the back room and I would pretend to be preaching to the congregation. So when I think of all of the things, you know, that kind of led me to dance, Dance is where I felt like all of those things came together. And with piano, I was always so nervous that I could barely remember the notes on the page when I had to perform it. Singing, my voice would crack because I would be just, you know, almost like stunned with, with you know, shyness and fear. In dance, when I would perform, I felt like myself. When did you start dancing? I started dancing when I was around 12 years old. And were your legs still bow-legged? No, no, that was that. By the time I was six years old, it wasn't an so, issue. So what took you from fantasizing about preaching in front of the congregation to your first dance moves? I think part of it was remaining curious, you know, remaining curious. I, I think that's one of the greater sort of, when we think of hard work, sometimes it is hard work to remain curious to not be sort of um, jaded, you know, to think that you already have discovered everything. There's always something leading to another. Dancers know about that. It's called transitions, you know, that you don't just arrive at a step, but you get to a step so that you can move to the next. How important is classical ballet training? How much of it do you need to accomplish what you guys accomplish on stage? Yes, uh, we... Classical ballet is very important. It's a part of all of the dancers' training. Um, it's a part of the foundation so that you can spring from it. Uh, it's built into the works that we do, the works that uh, Mr. Ailey choreographed. When you look at Revelations, you do see uh, the influence of ballet as well as modern dance and African dance and social dance. I think you, I think you see it all in because 
It's not just one thing. But for the young aspiring dancers yeah. who love modern, mm-hmm. how hard do they have to work at ballet in their training? How much do they have to master it in order to become a great modern dancer? I think you do. You, 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 you know, I can't speak on it in terms of degrees because it, it's according to their bodies and but usually it's really sort of the, the, the gateway in a way. When you look at it, I mean, classical ballet has been around a long time. Modern dance was sort of, um, came as a sort of protest against <laughs> classical ballet, you know, and you have to train. All of our dancers uh, train in ballet still to this day when they do a warm-up uh, before a performance or during rehearsals that starts at 10 a.m. or 10.30 with a ballet class. You're listening to CNN Profiles. We're here with Robert Battle, artistic director of the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. And I have to go back to Nina Simone again because now that I'm getting to know you, mm-hmm. I'm not sure these lyrics apply to your life as I thought they might. So, mm. Chip, if you can pick it up where we left it off, and then I'm going to tell you where to stop. spring to me all things to me get ready for this transition line from Nina Simone like a leaf clings to a tree oh my darling cling to me it seems so tentative almost or Mm. or so uh, so uncertain yeah I mean a leaf clings to a tree the slightest wind Mm -hmm. can blow that off right and yet as I'm listening to you I hear such confidence Mm. maybe maybe that's not the right metaphor for your life as a leaf clings to a tree or maybe it is and I don't know does that connect with you at all, that phrase? Oh, absolutely. But what, what, is, what comes to your mind when you hear that? Well, I think, in my opinion, in order to express one's deepest feelings and desires is to be vulnerable. I think confidence is not just a matter of sort of, as we call it in martial arts, peacocking, you know, the notion of, you know, I think confidence is a combination of vulnerability, but in spite of the fear that you press on anyway, that you speak even when you're afraid to, that it's the combination of, of vulnerability but yet drive that to me speaks of confidence. But it isn't as one note. It isn't, when I hear Nina Simone's voice, and I've often said that I, in it, I hear such fragility that, you know, that it could almost break, but yet I hear such strength at 
the same time. But I think it's because, you know, when you hear her voice, you hear everything that is wrong in the world and everything that is right in the world. I think that that's the combination that builds strength. Same thing you find in a dancer, you know, that 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 when I look at my dancers and I look at the, the Ailey dancers and the amount of touring that we do, um, the amount of training and warming up, you know, when I think of us now on this, this tour, 21 cities, um, but I think of all of the things that they do, that's takes a certain amount of vulnerability but strength, you know, that they do it anyway. I've seen them, you know, sort of after like a hundred performances and then we have a hundred and one and somewhere in them, although I know on the stage, I know them because I, 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 I live with them in that sense and I know that they're feeling like I'm tired and I want to go home. But yet and still they go out and they give their best. Uh, I think there's that conflict that creates energy. So don't deny the fragility. No. Embrace it. Um, you stick your neck out. Not, you know, and when you create, if you're being honest, you're sort of wearing your heart on your sleeve for people to sort of digest. It's like handing the audience, like inviting 4,000 people and giving them all a copy of your diary and having them sort of comment on it. Um, it's, it's, it's a very naked place to be. And so like a leaf clings to a tree, you know, that notion that, you know, just a strong wind could blow it away. I think you, but you learn to walk through that, uh, because you have to, I don't think the dancers do it just because they want to, but because they have to, this is what they have to express. Thinking about that metaphor of the braces and Mm -hmm. falling down. Mm. Have you fallen down a lot since then? few times but um, even trying to be a choreographer every now and then you fall down or at least someone uh, thinks that you've fallen down Um, but um, the notion is how you deal with that how do you get up you know this is the same thing with dancers we go to the floor all the time and sometimes intentionally or not but it's really the recovery that becomes how you master what you do the notion that you'll never fall down is, is, to me, more scary because when you finally do, you have no idea how to deal with it. But you make a lot of those falls along the way, but you get up and you move forward anyway. And that's strength. Uh, and so that's what I've tried to do is, is continue to challenge myself, continue to remain curious, to remain humble, but to keep pressing forward. Um, and to have this opportunity now to lead one of the most impo- important cultural institutions in the world, uh, chosen by Judah Jamison, to me is the best testimony to sort of, um, you know, sort of taking what you have and working with it. The testimony of Robert Battle, artistic director of the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater. Thank you for joining us on CNN Profiles. Thank you. I'm preaching after all. <laughs> By the way, you can find CNN Profiles on our website, cnn.com soundwaves, or download us from iTunes or go to SoundCloud. And please, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Share. Share.